Views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and contributors, and not necessarily those of WFSU Public Media. What's the 411? You're tuned in to 411 Teen, a weekly program for teens, families, and other interested folks. 411 Teen provides a forum to examine and discuss various issues and events that confront, intersect, and sometimes interrupt our daily lives. Science education unlocks problem-solving, critical thinking, and collaboration skills that carry over into real life. Yet, the average elementary school student across the U.S. receives only 18 minutes of science instruction per day. OutTeach helps teachers make science come alive in everyday outdoor spaces. It empowers both teachers and students to unlock a new way of understanding and navigating the world around them. Jean McCarty, CEO of the national nonprofit OutTeach, joins this edition of 411 Teen to talk about science instruction, specifically outdoor science learning. Why is it critical? for children to have access to this kind of learning. Personalized hands-on training, collaborative partnership, and easily accessible resources delivered through OutTeach helps teachers recast outdoor spaces in exciting outdoor labs. I'm Dr. Liz Hollyfield, and joining me via the Zoom platform, I welcome Jean McCarty. Jean, welcome to 411 Teen. Thanks so much, Liz. It's great to be here today, and I'm excited to share more about our vision for education. Oh, and I'm excited to hear about it. Tell us, tell us about OutTeach. I mean, just give us, paint a picture of it. What is it? How long has it been in existence? How did it evolve? Just give us the backstory on that. Well, I'd love to do that. So OutTeach is an organization that's really built with the future in mind, and what we envision is an education system, an education experience that really inspires students and prepares them for um, the workforce of the future. So if you think about the problems that lie ahead and the things that we need to be prepared for, um, they require critical thinking skills, they require an ability to problem solve and creativity. So we're built to help promote a kind of education that will really inspire tomorrow's innovators and leaders and thinkers uh, that we so desperately need. And so at OutTeach, we start with science education, like you mentioned, you know, right now, elementary students get on average 18 minutes of science education a day, and it's just not enough to get them interested and prepared for those careers. And we believe the best science education actually happens outdoors. So we do two things with our partner schools. One is we transform their schoolyards that exist, large or small, into what we call real world labs. So teachers can take students outside of the classroom, engage them hands on in science where students can just really experience science firsthand. Uh, and the second thing we do is we work very closely with teachers to help teachers make that transition from indoor teaching to outdoor teaching because it's different. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. there are a lot of similarities, but there there are also uh, differences. And you asked how we got started. So we actually got started uh, in Fort Worth, Texas, with support from a philanthropist there, uh, Mr. Richard Rainwater, and one of his close friends who ran his foundation. And they were looking for things in education that were creative and things that really worked, and they wanted to support that. So they uh, gathered teachers, and teachers created the idea. We were 
you know, kind of built by teachers for teachers. And since then, the organization's been thriving. I came on board in 2007 to really grow us into a national organization. Okay. Well, when you're talking about science, what relationship does OutTeach have to STEM? So science and STEM, we're related to both. I mean, if mm-hmm. you um, if you think about STEM, science is first. And mm-hmm. so, you know, mm-hmm. first, we really want to make sure that kids are exposed to science in the natural world in the setting. Like if you think about all the things that elementary students in particular are learning in earth science and in physical science um, and life science, it's all happening outdoors. So we want to make sure that kids get that early exposure, but we're really also working across the curriculum. So we're working uh, to bring in real world math into science and to bring science into math and make it more real world. We're also um, working to, in, you know, to really enhance the way kids learn how to read and write by bringing kids outdoors and exposing them to science outdoors, but also improving their literacy skills as we do it. So it's all connected, mm-hmm. um, science, STEM, and, and all of what kids are learning at the elementary level. And, and a lot of it can happen outdoors. It can be enhanced by that hands-on kind of real-world experience. Okay. Um, as far as as out teach how was it has it been received i mean until this this point with the um the partnerships and the schools that you are are working with yeah so we grow every year and i think that it's it's very well received because you know schools principals teachers they're all looking for creative ways mm-hmm. to engage students and to really um you know bring kind of that fun back into schools and and really help, you know, make sure that students want to come to school. I mean, school should be a place where students want to go and they think of it as, you know, something that is engaging and fun. So for those reasons, um, it has been well received. And we also, we really work hard with our partners to make sure that we're helping them meet whatever goals they have, you know, their academic goals, their goals for kind of the um, emotional support of students, their goals for workforce development, whatever they are, we're really working to integrate it um, into kind of the the things that schools are are aiming to achieve. And then I think the other reason it's well received is just the support for teachers. Mm -hmm. You know, you think about that outdoor space or any tool that's new for teachers it really does take time to adopt it and to understand, you know, how does this tool work best for me? How does this tool actually help um, me meet my own uh, teaching and learning goals? And how does it engage my students? And so the time that we spend with teachers, I think also really helps it take hold in our within our school partners. Well, I tell you, when I, I read uh, information about um, outdoor and teaching, the idea that Students, well, I guess it's not an idea. The fact that students didn't spend any more than 18 minutes outside was just incredulous. I couldn't believe that. I was like, what? Where Where are we? They aren't getting any time outside. So I can understand how you feel out teach is, is necessary. What exactly happens when children learn in a natural outside environment? What do you see going on that, you know, really stimulates the learning and supports out-teach? Yeah, so that is such a good question. And, you know, I think that one of the most important things that I see happen is that students' senses are engaged. They're all engaged. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you think about 
your own education and, you know, particularly those moments that you might remember in elementary school, they are oftentimes when you were fully engaged in that way. So whether it was a field trip or a time that you actually were outdoors and able to, you know, to learn in that way. Um, you know, if I think about like, you know, let me just give you an example okay. too of the way that, you know, of the kind of what a lesson might look like indoors versus outdoors and how it really right. is all engaging. So, you know, a very simple experience we've all had. We all learned the parts of a plant, probably in second grade. Um, and we typically learn that from kind of a, a worksheet. Maybe it's online now, but you get a very kind of nondescript plant hard to even identify, and you might label the parts of the plant. And then you're supposed to learn about kind of the structure and function. Why is it structured this way? How do the roots function and all mm -hmm. of that? If we take kids outdoors rather than move them out of their desk, away from that worksheet, take kids outdoors and have them actually experience, you know, pulling up a weed from the ground, anything like that, and they feel the resistance of the roots, they start to understand, you know, the parts of the plant, why they exist, right. and then how they also are related to the, that entire outdoor environment. So because they go through an experience like that, and it may seem really simple, um, when they're drawing on their knowledge for a test or for any way that they need to show that they've actually comprehended, they draw on that experience much more than they would draw on, say, you know, a worksheet or an experience that they typically have in the classroom. So it's really those, you know, engaging your senses, having some sort of experience that solidifies your learning, and then making sure that the learning has meaning and purpose that's relevant to the students. Yeah, and I think a positive is not, it's all the senses. It's not just focusing on one or the other. I mean, because if you're outside, you know, it's seeing, smelling, touching, feel, all of that. So um, they are definitely engaged. That's a very, um, I think, very stimulating component of, of out-teach. What? Yeah, and I, I think about, you know, Liz, I think about my own um, experience, and I was sharing mm -hmm. this story the other day, that okay. in my elementary school, we had a small kind of outdoor amphitheater. Mm -hmm. I think we only went maybe two or three times, and what the teacher did is she took us out there and she would read. But I can describe it to you in great detail. I remember that space. I remember how it felt, you know, sitting mm -hmm. there. I remember the teacher, what she looks like. I probably couldn't describe you know, my second or third grade classroom to you in that much detail. And I sat there every single day. So it really does make a difference when you're drawing on your senses and you're kind of drawing on your experience. Do parents have an opportunity to be involved in this outdoor instruction? So parents are involved in um, several ways. So mostly in the construction of outdoor space and kind of the long-term health of that space. So when we build an outdoor learning lab, we first start by engaging students. Students kind of think about and imagine what they want to see in the space. We work with teachers. Teachers also think about, you know, what are the things I want to teach and accomplish? And we bring those ideas together to put uh, together a design plan. But when we build it, we invite the parents to come mm. and be involved. And so having the community out there alongside students, teachers, and often um, partners of ours is an amazing opportunity for parents to be engaged in the school. And then it also helps them create that connection to the school where they can come back and they can help um, take care of that space long term. Okay. Um, what does that lab consist of? 
mean, does it vary depending upon what the teacher plans to um, focus on? I mean, if you when you say building an outdoor lab, what's what's in that lab? I mean, outside of course it's outdoors, but I mean, what do you do? And yeah, I, so. So it is customized to the needs of the school, but there are a lot of common elements that we have in our outdoor learning labs. So first of all, you know, we always have vegetable beds so Mm -hmm. students can plant and grow and experience um, that. They can also do math lessons, science lessons, all kinds of things in, um, you know, in a vegetable garden. But that experience. Let me ask you to hold your thoughts. I'm going to get back to you. This is one of those times where I have to interrupt. We're going to take a brief break. You're listening to 411 Team. Just tuning in, the program is 411 Team. I'm Dr. Liz Hollyfield, and I'm having a very informative discussion with Jean McCarty. She is the CEO of OutTeach. Jean, I had to interrupt you and you were talking about the the composition of the outdoor lab. You continue your thoughts? Yes. Yeah, so the, the spaces really are customized, but there's so many things that are common. So I was talking about, you know, we have um, almost all of them have a space for vegetable beds, which mm-hmm. is an amazing opportunity to learn so much across the curriculum. We also build, um, you know, wildlife habitats, so like butterfly gardens, things that attract in different insects and living things that students can study. We put up bird houses that are often painted and personalized mm-hmm. in the most amazing way by the students um, at the school. We build something called Earth Science Stations. So we build you know, places where kids can explore different rock formations. They can test um, erosion. They can uh, observe sedimentation in kind of a small space that has a lot of different things that uh, teachers and students can use to create those kind of opportunities uh, for students. We always have weather stations in our outdoor spaces. So very simple things like a rain gauge, um, mm-hmm. uh, a weather vane thermometer. And, you know, students can go out every single day and track weather. They can look at weather over time. They can graph data. They can do so many different things um, it, with, with just very simple weather stations. Um, we always have seating. And so we do all kinds of different things with seating. Sometimes we use uh, stumps that students paint and parents paint and personalize to the school. We put in benches that are, you know, painted and beautiful. But we always have a space that that teachers can gather students because teachers really need to feel comfortable in the way that they do inside the classroom. Um, We make sure there's shade. So whether that is a tree that's established and already there or we build a shade structure, but we we want to make sure that there's also shade for particularly for the locations that really do heat up um, in in the school year. And all kinds of things like that. We bring in creative elements that students come up with. So. Two great examples of that. One of my favorites um, in Texas, the students drew in their design, they drew their vegetable beds in the shape of a flower. So the (laughs) beds were petals of the flower and it was a round center. And we put that in the garden design because it came from the students and it was just such a creative idea. 
Um, and then I was just recently, uh, last school year, the very end of the year in Texas, again, one of the students uh, put in a life-size chessboard into the oh. outdoor learning lab plan. And so we tried it. It was the first time we'd ever done that. We thought, that's interesting. That's a great idea. Our volunteers taped it off. We painted it. We created it. And we found um, human-sized chess pieces. And so... <laughs> Such fun yeah. things like that. I mean, yeah. some of the ideas, Liz, we can't implement. I mean, you know, we have climbing walls that show up, mm -hmm. you know, petting zoos, all kinds <laughs> of things like that. <laughs> but, but, you know, kids have the most creative ideas. And so we try our best to really harness them and then to repeat them in other schools if they really do take hold. So it sounds like a real transformation of the outdoor space into more a real outdoor lab. It kind of it brings is. science to life for that it school. Is. I mean, it sounds exciting. How do you identify the school partnerships? I mean, how do you find them? How do they find you? I mean, and what about the cost? Um, do, I guess, the schools would have to supply the, the funds to, to do what's necessary? So there, there, let me answer in several ways. So okay. in terms of identifying our schools, we have uh, district, school district level partnerships that we work on to really integrate this approach across the entire school district and particularly at the elementary level where mm -hmm. um, we're really seeing the gap in science instruction. We also work with individual schools. So principals will reach out and we'll work with a principal to create a plan to implement the program. And then we do some one-on-one -on -one work with teachers in what we call professional learning communities for teachers so they can connect across the country and share ideas and really um, you know, get to know other teachers who are you know, teaching in, in this, this effective way. Um, and so some schools come to us Sometimes we work through those partners, but if 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 folks are interested, uh, please visit our website at www.out-teach.org, and there are ways to um, let us know that you're interested and and get in touch with us. In terms of the funding, there's several ways that we fund our programs. So our outdoor learning labs are primarily funded by our corporate partners who are really invested in growing and diversifying the STEM workforce pipeline, which we haven't talked about yet. Um, and so partners like Cox Enterprises, uh, Takeda Pharmaceutical, uh, many others are joining with us to fund the actual establishment of these outdoor learning labs. Schools invest in the teacher training that we do. So our, at the school level or the district level, they support um, the teacher training, and then we also help uh, fund that through some other philanthropic efforts. So it's really kind of a public-private mm -hmm. um, joint partnership to get this work done with, at, you know, at the center of it with this real belief that we've got to elevate science education early on if we want to grow that workforce of the future. Well, let's look a little bit more at the teacher training and preparation. I understand I, that you have you know, coaches that hold trainings and one-on-ones. But how does this teacher training differ from, or maybe it doesn't, uh, differ from the traditional teacher training that so, we see? Yeah, so it does It does differ a bit. I mean, we believe that, uh, you know, we want to train teachers in the way that we want to see teachers engaging students. Mm -hmm. So we do it in a very hands-on way 
and with on-the-job training, just like the most effective training in any profession. And so we work side-by-side with teachers over the course of a year to really help them think about how to uh, plan lessons, how to bring the outdoors into lessons that they haven't thought about, um, how to access resources that we have, and really adopt a new way of teaching that not only happens outdoors, but also has benefits to teaching indoors. So we're, we're showing teachers techniques like, you know, ways that they can encourage uh, curiosity and questioning in students. And a lot of that just naturally happens outdoors. Mm-hmm. So there's the one-on-one work with teachers coaching. Um, We also have, um, we model for teachers. So we have a bank of lessons where teachers can go in and see how it looks when it's taught outdoors. Because, you know, one, one of the myths is like, oh, if I take my students outdoors, they may, you know, they, they may not be well behaved or they may Mm -hmm, wander mm -hmm. off in different directions. And it's just not the case, but we really want to work with teachers to make sure they're comfortable and show them certain classroom management techniques that may be different outdoors uh, than indoors. And so it's a really effective kind of training because of that real one-on-one relationship that our coaches have with teachers. Okay. Uh, How many school partnerships roughly do you have now currently in operation, I guess, and where are they? I mean, I'm trying to get a feel for, are these partnerships, is this out teach in, in the cities or is it in the rural areas? What kind of demographics are you um, addressing? Yeah, so we we work almost solely with um, schools that have a high percentage of students who um, come from uh, low-income backgrounds. So mm-hmm. that is important to us because we really feel like um, it's where the opportunity is to bring students that may not otherwise have access to the STEM workforce pipeline into it. We really want to do that. So that is the the demographic of schools we work with. We work with several thousand teachers a year um, doing the one-on-one coaching. Um, and we work right now in um, several key geographies. We work in the Southeast, we work in the Mid-Atlantic area, and we work in Texas, but we are also building our capacity to work across the country using some digital tools. And we've launched some of that already. We've had uh, uh, these learning communities of teachers that have been on a national scale. So we're growing every day. We're seeing so much interest in our program since COVID as well, and we'll continue to grow to meet that need. Now, on the flip side, what types of obstacles have you encountered when trying to get various school districts to participate? Yeah, that is a great question. And, and you know, there are always some obstacles that we, we, work, <laughs> um, we work through and we work around. And so right now, you know, I think that um, our school districts across the country are really struggling mm-hmm. post-COVID to kind of yeah. regain their footing. Um, it's showing up in several ways. So one is... Uh, real um, decline in job satisfaction for teachers. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's something that we measure and that we really work on because we want to do our role in supporting teachers to keep them in the profession because we, I can't imagine, Mm -hmm. you know, our country or the world without teachers. And so we um, 
you know, we build our program with that goal in mind of increasing teacher job satisfaction. So, you know, but that's one thing that we're experiencing. Um, the other really is, I mean, I don't know if you saw um, the data that came out recently, too, is that we've, we've tested math and ELA um, just post-COVID, and we've seen some real declines, and particularly yeah, in math scores. Mm-hmm. So districts are really um, struggling to find solutions that, you know, that can really help, um, you know, rebuild after COVID and um, improve math and and reading across schools. So when you talk about science, sometimes science really gets on the back burner. But what we focus on is, you know, that science can really drive learning in both math and reading and science as well. So it gives meaning and purpose to both. Um, mm-hmm. So we don't see it as an either or. We see it as, you know, an and 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 really a plus and bonus. But, you know, if I'm if, if that's, you know, those are some of the conversations that we're having just in this post-COVID education environment. Again, you shared this earlier, but I want to ask you to share it again for our listening audience. Someone listening to the program, they want to get more information about your organization. How do they access this how do they access the information, you know, to the organization? How do they contact you? Yeah, so first visit our website, which is uh, www.out-teach.org. And there are uh, ways on the website to get in touch with us based on what your interest is, whether you're a teacher or a district leader or a principal or a parent who mm-hmm. wants to see okay. OutTeach in their schools. And then there are other ways to stay in touch. So we are, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at OutTeach Education and also on Twitter at OutTeach Ed. And we uh, are are really active there and and also want to hear from you. We want to hear from teachers that may not be part of our program, but are doing this kind of work and find it important. Um, You can also email us at info at out-teach.org as well. Okay. What is different, and I know you've kind of addressed this, but what is different about learning science when it's done outside, when it's outdoors? I mean, I know you have the hands-on, depending mm-hmm. on what you're, you're addressing, but is there, are there other differences that teachers and administrators and even parents need to be aware of? I would say that when you're indoors, you are learning science, potentially. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you're learning science vocabulary. Mm -hmm. When students are outdoors, they are doing science. And by doing science, they can start seeing those possibilities for the future in themselves. They can see themselves as scientists when they're actually in the practice of doing it. So what that looks like is, you know, scientists observe, they collect data, they problem solve, they hypothesize. When you take kids outdoors, that's what you do, you know? So I'll I'll give you another example of just something commonly taught in elementary school. So the concept of erosion and weathering. So if you learn that indoors, you know, you're Mm going to learn it in a very standard way through, you know, words or, you know, Mm -hmm. some, sometimes teachers may want to show a visual and they may show the Grand Canyon, and like that is an awe-inspiring example of weathering and erosion. When you go outdoors, you can have kids explore their space, large or small. 
and look for examples of weathering and erosion on their campus. And then you can go so much deeper because you can start listening to their questions. You know, why is that happening? And ask them too, and have them start thinking critically. And they're learning at such a deeper level um, that they're really grasping what that concept is. And then you can take it a step further into problem solving and into solutions. So, okay, you know, we're observing weathering happening at this corner of our school ground. We're identifying why it's happening and then push them to think about what are creative solutions? What are things that we can do um, to change this? They're acting as scientists, they're acting as engineers, and they're really in that practice. So that's why it's so important. And it's so much more engaging for mm -hmm. students and such a deeper kind of learning. Jean, how are these outdoor spaces identified? And I know you've explained how they're transformed. And I'm thinking mm -hmm. particularly of these inner city schools um, where... It may not always be safe, you know, to be outside. Um, and I'm just asking, how, how do you, how do you, how does the school identify the um, the, the space? How yeah, do you handle so that? It's a great question. We have a team of landscape architects, so we do go and tour the space and help identify the best location based on a number of factors. You know, one, it's proximity to the school campus. You don't want to make it too far. You want to make it something easy uh, for teachers to be able to walk outside and do. You want to make sure it's safe. You want to also make sure there's enough sun. Like, mm -hmm. I can't tell you, you know, we, we sometimes tour schools and the vegetable beds aren't in the sun. So like you really have to do that <laughs> yeah, kind of sun important. study. <laughs> it's very important. And just like understand kind of how this is going to work on the school campus. Some of my favorite spaces are here in DC and they're really small, but mm -hmm. they have so much growing and going on in a tiny and compact space. So this can happen anywhere. It, it doesn't need to be, um, you know, acres of wilderness. Like it right. can you can learn by just walking outside the school door. You know, if you're studying clouds, all you have to do is walk outside and look up. Okay. Is there, how shall I say this? Is there a downside to learning outdoors? I mean, are kids missing out when they leave the classroom? You know, do these studies or field trips that are outside to learn spoil kids from the conventional classroom work? I mean, when they come back into the classroom, you know, are they restless and distracted? <laughs> I mean, I got to ask, is it difficult for them to, to settle down? I'm just trying to cover everything I can think of. <laughs> no, it's great, but it's it's. I want you to think about this, Liz. Like, if you've spent three hours in a small desk or at a table on a stool, how do you feel versus if you have actually had space outdoors to learn? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so, but, but it's a common, it's a common question. Okay. And I will say that it's, it's kids relax when they're able to move around. So they're also, you know, we talk about the senses, but they're mm -hmm. also moving and that, engages their brain differently even from the time inside the classroom to outside that's the kind of brain break that there's actually been research on when mm -hmm. when adults and children both have an opportunity to be in an outdoor setting they learn better so you know it's it's 
I, you know, of course I don't see a downside. <laughs> um, and I see so many positives that are just well beyond the academic from, you know, the social, emotional, the health mm-hmm. benefits, you know, vitamin D, everything. So well, we'll it's talk really about those. when we come back. I need to interrupt. Yeah. We are going to take a brief break. You're tuned in to 411 Team. Views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and contributors, and not necessarily those of WFSU Public Media. You're tuned in to 411 Teen, a weekly program for teens, families, and other interested folks. I'm Dr. Liz Hollyfield. In this edition of 411 Teen, we are examining outdoor learning. My guest is Jean McCarty, CEO of OutTeach, a nonprofit which builds the foundation for science and STEM learning. OutTeach makes science come alive, utilizing everyday outdoor instructional spaces. Jean, I tell you, I'm, I'm ready to go back to school. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is, it's very, very positive. Um, identify for the listening audience some of the benefits of um, being outside and learning in a natural environment. Yeah, so we've explored the academic benefits so mm-hmm. much. I mean, I think that real world learning where kids can actually, you know, touch and sense and smell and do and experience and observe things in real time is so much, you know, it's it's just so valuable and it extends what's happening in the classroom. So it really complements um, what's happening in the classroom. But there are also health benefits. I mean, mm-hmm. just being outdoors, um, again, moving around as you're learning, it it helps students kind of just, you know, focus and, and kind of center themselves. Um, but there are other benefits of just being outside and, you know, like being outside in nature, the, the right. calming effects, making sure that there's enough time outside that students actually, um, you know, get the benefit from from the sun out there. I mean, so many benefits to being outdoors. From where I sit, science, learning, there seems to be a real emphasis on um, robotics and technology. Are you seeing this? And if so, what do children lose when tech and robotics are the emphasis? Can you can incorporate into that, into your outdoor learning? I'm so glad you asked this question. You know, I, I, robotics technology, it is so important also. So again, it's not an either or, but it really does limit who may come into science or engineering STEM. Um, and really only draws in kind of one, you know, one one type of science as well. So, you know, when I think back on my own childhood, I've always been a naturalist, but I've never thought about myself as a scientist. I didn't even understand that the hours I spent outdoors, you know, exploring my backyard with my dad in the garden, that that was actually, you know, could have been a path to science. Um, there is a, a researcher out of Indiana University, Dr. Adam Maltese, and I love his research, and his research really does speak to this. What he argues from, from his research when he looks at 
um, a whole host of scientists who were funded by the National Science Foundation. He's looked at what interests them and brought them to science. Like what was that that created that initial spark? And what he argues is there's just no one path to science. Mm -hmm. And that if we want to bring in a diversity of kids, we've got to offer a diversity of ways to science. So we're and doing we that. You use that you know, word diversity. You know, this is Florida. Better be careful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No. <laughs> no way. Yeah. So, you know, so someone who may be interested in science may need to come through that experience in, in nature. Um, when when Dr. Maltese also looks at, um, you know, particularly women, mm -hmm. the two ways that the women he's researching come into science are through some sort of outdoor experience and some sort of teacher who has been a significant teacher in their lives and interested in science. And so, you know, I don't think we can limit this. Like, I think when you look at our job sector, you know, STEM jobs mm -hmm. are growing two times faster than any other sector out there. So we have a real workforce need here. Yep. And I think that we really have to look at the students in our schools and engage them early on and prepare them to take these jobs of the future. Well, this is just a philosophical question, but Studies and research indicates that students in the United States fall behind when it comes to STEM training. What? Why? Why is this happening here? I mean, what's your? Where do you sit on that? What do you think is the culprit? Why are we yeah. in that position? I sit very firmly on um, the fact that we're not engaging them early on. So there's mm -hmm. also research that shows that career paths are largely set by the time a, a child reaches sixth grade. Mm -hmm. And we have not prioritized science early on. Now we do, a, we do a good job bringing science more to the forefront in middle school and in high school. Mm -hmm. But it really is those early it's years where you capture that interest. And if we're not engaging student, students or actually, you know, 18 minutes on average a day, it's not enough to prepare them or to no. really attract them to the field of science. So I am um, an advocate for early and often science education and, and for educating in a way that really does also lift up um, what kids are doing in other subjects. Okay. Are you aware of any measurable psychological and educational um, measures um, that impact looking at what has what impact this out teach has had. Um, I don't know, just since two thousand seven up to now. Yeah, so we we look at that often and and annually, and we're looking at two things. So for for teachers, we're really working on those teacher practices that help teachers teach science, integrate science across other disciplines, and then utilize the outdoors to do it in a hands-on way. We're also looking at um, how teachers are, you know, because science requires young people or, you know, or all people to be curious and to be actively engaged and actively problem solving. So we're also working with teachers to kind of shift what we call, you know, kind of the cognitive load to mm -hmm. students when they're teaching. So 
making sure students are the ones that are asking questions that are problem solving, that are creating solutions and really actively engaged in their learning. So we're measuring how um, we're moving teachers over a course of a year across kind of these, these teacher practices. Kind of in a, if I roll that up, we're also looking at, um, you know, how is their overall instruction improving mm -hmm. and how is their job satisfaction improving as a result of OutTeach? And this year, I just got our um, impact report. And so from the beginning of the year until now, we're seeing that teachers' job satisfaction is improving um, more than 33% over the course of the year as a result of OutTeach, and that their instructional practices are improving a little bit higher than that as well. So we're seeing great improvements. You know, and this is a lot of work that has to happen over time. Mm -hmm. For students, mm -hmm. we're looking at, you know, short term, we're looking at student engagement. Are students more engaged when they're learning in these ways outdoors? And every year, um, by the end of the year, we see teachers reporting that students are, you know, that 96% of really high numbers of their students are engaged when they're learning mm -hmm. outdoors. And you know, engagement leads to so much else. It leads to um, more, better learning outcomes, more enthusiasm about school. And, you know, right now districts are looking at student attendance and seeing kind of what's happened there after COVID. And so, you know, engagement is a really mm -hmm. important measure to look at. Well, we really know that there are a lot of benefits to um, outdoor learning spaces. Um, in reading and doing research, I recognize that, you know, there's stress reduction and concentration is boosted. And just even, the, as you mentioned previously, the child's engagement um, is increased as far as school and learning. What are we doing for girls? What are we doing for females who often are not encouraged to excel or pursue science in yeah, any so way, shape, I, or form. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think about myself. I'm mm -hmm. an example of that. Um, so we are by design um, really inspiring and engaging students, uh, or girls in particular in science. And so that is, you know, going back to the research that I mentioned before from Dr. Adam Altice, the top two ways that NSF-funded scientists came to science were through an outdoor experience, which we're providing these students on their schoolyards, and strong, you know, influential teacher mm -hmm. who was teaching science. And so we're working at both of those levels. The other thing that we're doing is there's a, the, a really great project um, called the If Then Collection, which is um, 100 female ambassadors who are scientists. And so in, in a large percentage of the women are women of color and they tell mm -hmm. their stories. How did I come to science? What do I do as a scientist? And make science sound so great. You know, mm -hmm. like I, everyone I listen to, I think, oh gosh, I want to study soil. You know, it just <laughs> sounds like the most fun thing ever, but it's really important for students to see people that look like them who yeah. have taken this career path. And also to see that it's fun. It's not all, you know, not that a lab coat isn't fun, but it, it kind of, it just takes so many different forms than what we've seen in popular culture. 
Um, and then again, I think it's doing science, not just learning science, but doing science mm-hmm. that opens up kind of what you can envision for yourself and for your future. Well, I know one study that I read, I think it was out of England, found that children who reported, children who learned outside, who were involved in science learning, um, reported fewer psychological problems than though, you know, that they did not seem to have as many issues with behavior um, when they did get to the classroom, the traditional classroom. Have you heard anything about that or have you seen any of that or any comments about the student behavior? I have heard, you know, we we aren't measuring it, but I've heard mm-hmm. so many incredible anecdotes and I've witnessed things. So, you know, one fun example um, came at, you know, one of the builds that we were doing at the end of last school year, where we had, I can't tell you, like it was mounds and mounds of soil and mulch that we were moving into um, garden beds and onto the space. And the school had 800 students at the school. Every single student cycled out to that outdoor space to participate in this build, because again, Mm -hmm. it's their space and you want them to feel that sense of ownership. But in this big pile of mulch, there were probably 25 kids kind of surrounding in there, all with shovels and hand tools. And I had a district leader come up to me and say, look over there. You know, I have been here for two hours. I have seen kids cycle in and out and I have not seen one problem mm-hmm. because they're physically engaged. They're excited. They're doing something that they want to do. So that that's a fun example, you know, and I can still see them on that big mound of mulch. Um, but, you know, other examples I've heard, you know, I heard a, a, one teacher shared with me that she um, had a group of students that came to school early, were always in the cafeteria. And so she and, and they were not as well behaved as they should have been. And so mm-hmm. they were about to get in some serious trouble. So she created kind of this before school garden group. She would take them to the compost pile before school when they showed up. They would turn the compost. They would do all these different things. And then they would go to class and focus. And so she said, you know, testing came, the testing time came around and schools are typically on just lockdown when they're doing their standardized Mm -hmm. test. So she thought, okay, I need to make a plan for these students because I I know I'm not going to be able to take them out. So she went to their teachers and they said, oh no, no, we actually want you to take them out (laughs) before the test because they'll do better. They, they, they behave okay. better and they'll do better. So that is, you know, those are two examples that just come to mind immediately. But I hear stories um, just all the time. And I also hear stories of students that may not show up as much in class as leaders. When you take them outside, they really fall into kind of the role of leader or they surprise the teacher. They might not have heard of a student, heard the students speak much and then outdoors, they really shine. So again, it's giving students this variety of opportunity to really show their strengths and explore their strengths. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, just being in a natural outdoor milieu can indeed be therapeutic all the way around. So I, everything that you're saying really does make a lot of sense. And I know another research article that I read talked about being exposed to natural settings um, appeared to have, a, have an intrinsic effect on cognitive functioning and emotional functioning. Comments, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. And I, you know, I witness it um, in here 
you know, stories one-on-one about that and Mm -hmm. experience it myself, you know? Mm -hmm. So even Mm -hmm. before the podcast, I went and sat outside for a few minutes, you Mm -hmm. know, because I know Mm -hmm. that that is something that really does kind of, um, it does settle us as humans. Unless it's 111, like it is here. (laughs) Oh my. Uh, But that that won't You know, Liz, science is still happening even in 111 degrees. That's true. Now, I know we've basically been talking about the benefits primarily to young children um, who may have more problems staying on task to begin with. But are you aware of how it impacts teens or tweens, I should say, when when their lessons are in an outdoor natural setting? And I'm, I'm again, this is just, I just wondered if you'd heard anything, if you knew anything about that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's the same, similar benefits. I mean, I think the learning goes uh, deeper. I think the opportunities to actually do more kind of uh, problem solving and project based, you know, where, where young people are not only learning, but extending that to uh, creating solutions that, that really does kind of drive home some of the needs for our middle schoolers and our, our teens. So you know, kind of how do you put this into action? Like Mm -hmm. those kind of questions you Mm -hmm. learn now, you care about this issue. Now, how are you going to put this into action to create a solution in your own community? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, which, which is what we need them to be practicing too, because if we look, you know, fast forward into the future, we really need to be um, just developing our young people to be our problem solvers and our innovators. In this last minute and a half, I guess, um, is there any closing words of wisdom you'd like to share with the the listening audience before we close? Is there anything that I neglected to cover? Well, it's been a great conversation. and I've enjoyed it so much. Um, I think that we've talked a lot about the benefits to students, but I also think that you know, taking kids outdoors is beneficial to teachers for Mm -hmm. many of the same reasons. Mm -hmm. And You know, it helps teachers build those relationships with their students that are so important. It gets them moving around and outdoors. I mean, it's all very uh, similar. And I think at this moment in time, we need to be thinking about, you know, things that impact not just our students, but also our teachers. We really need them. Well, it is time out for this edition of 411 Team. Special thanks to Jean McCarty, CEO of OutTeach a nonprofit that makes science come alive in outdoor learning spaces. Much appreciation to my listening audience for your time and ear. Tune in next week, same time, same place, to get the 411 on 411 Team. 411 Team was produced by Dr. Liz Hollyfield. Technical assistance was provided by Evan Rossi. If you would like to participate in the 411 team or have suggestions for discussion topics, call 850-645-7200. You can listen to previous episodes of 411 team at wfsu.org.